You're listening to R&B's On The Verge podcast series, where we look at disruption through the lens of opportunity. My name is Willem van der Post, and this is the R&B On The Verge series, where we take a look at disruption, but through the lens of opportunity. And joining me today are two good friends, Etienne Nell from Zarex and Lorian Gamarov from St. B. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Let's start with the elephant in the room. There's a lot of terminology in the 4IR space being bandied about. And one of those terminologies is the blockchain. Can't spend 30 minutes in any financial services organization without someone saying something about the blockchain experiment or a proof of concept. But let's demystify it. Lorian, I'll start with you. What is the blockchain? Well, uh, I think when we're talking about blockchain, it's a general term. It just means something that uh, uh, it's like a database that is distributed across a lot of computers. If we're talking about the blockchain, it's kind of like talking about the Internet. You know, I think that uh, there's going to be one blockchain. Uh, you know, all these thousands of blockchains that exist today uh, are, are more than likely not going to be uh, going to disappear. And one day there will be this thing called the blockchain in the same way we have the Internet. Okay, cool. So, but now what does the blockchain actually mean? What does it refer to? You say words like distributed database. If I had to explain this to my dad, Etienne, how am I going to do this? So the way I explain it to my dad is in my background as a stockbroker, right? A hundred, literally a hundred years ago, people had share certificates. And on the share certificate, it would record what company it is and what is it that this particular asset is all about, right? However, on the back, interestingly enough, was a handwritten note that's saying Willem van der Post owns 100 of these shares. Now, Willem sells those shares to me. What would they do? They literally take a, a ruler and a pen, draw a line through it, and then write Etienne L, and then Lorian is the buyer, and so on and so forth. So on the back of the share certificate, you could see the entire list of owners from day one. It's like a register. 100%. Right. But it's on certificate. And that's probably the best way to explain a blockchain, right? Because that's effectively what the blockchain does. Unlike in current environments on a database, I need to make sure that you are actually the verified owner of those shares. And that's why we need custodians and custodian banks and CSDs and all sorts of other things adding a huge amount of cost. But because you're running on a distributed ledger that's irrefutable, what is on the ledger is the real truth, Right. So like this old share certificate where I could see Willem was the first shareholder, Etienne the second, and Lorian the third, and so on and so forth, you could actually have an audit trail. And that's where the power of the blockchain lies to my mind is the audit trail and the fact that it's so irrefutable, and it is what it is, right there and then in real time. You don't have to wait three or four working days like in the current capital market space to make sure you know, ownership is verified. Okay, so there's a couple of words that came out here that I want to just delve into. Firstly, the distributed word comes up a lot. Yes. Like, what's the, what, Lauren, why is that important? Well, uh, when we say distributed, it means that it's not stored in one location. You know, typically a company will have a database with, with all their customer records or something like that, and uh, it'll be in, on one computer in the company. And that's dangerous, right? Because if I hack that thing, I change the one version of the truth. Yes, well, it, uh, if the computer fails, you know, then you've lost your data, you have to have backups. But when we, when we distribute it, uh, what we mean is that it's replicated or copied across lots of different computers. And in the case of uh, the blockchain itself, that database is copied across the world so there isn't any single point of failure uh, so does that make it then therefore this impossible system to 
breach security around. The irrefutability and the distribution of it kind of go hand in hand. Is that, am I understanding this right? Well, yes. I, I think that uh, because it's distributed doesn't make it unbreakable. Uh, that's not uh, uh, the, the, the part of it that uh, makes it secure. Um, there are other factors in play, and that gets into the technical things around it, the encryption and the, the cryptography and so on. But also what's very interesting is people think of this as this, this new kind of technology that uh, is uh, using techniques that have never been devised before, and now we've created the system for the first time in history that is uncrackable. But it's not actually the technology that makes it so. It's the economic incentives around the blockchain that make it um, not impossible to to uh, you know corrupt but unlikely that's that's actually what it is it's it's a it's an economic incentive to maintain the the integrity of that data so so what what is actually saying sorry to jump in here mm. but but is you've got typically you've got multiple nodes that are independent from each other so there's no incentive for me to to um, say something is the truth when it's not. And that's where the legitimacy comes in. So if you've got seven independent parties who are unrelated to each other, the odds of those people colluding, uh, colluding see. are very limited. So the minute you add more people to, to that chain, right, you, uh, you end up in a situation where it becomes even more um, robust in terms of... Um, risk of being able to to hack or crack it okay so the whole world and all these thousands of nodes aren't going to collude in creating a new reality which is different from the actual reality correct all right so i get that irrefutable ledger worldwide now the irrefutability of course lends itself to a whole bunch of different applications and use cases the easiest thing that comes to mind of course when we talk ledger is accounting so i'm sure that we can do bookkeeping on the blockchain and there's things like smart contracts, which talk about automation on the blockchain. Tell me a little bit about smart contracts and how they talk to the blockchain. Well, uh, before we get into the smart contracts, what I want to talk about is when you say uh, irrefutability, what you're saying really is you're saying that the data that goes onto the blockchain never gets deleted or edited or corrupted. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, of course, uh, up to this point, we've been talking about uh, cryptocurrencies, you know, uh, transactional ledger. You know, if I pay you, then that transaction goes onto the blockchain. But actually, if you think about uh, uh, what the blockchain and, and the one that succeeds and the one that is able to scale to the world, it's not just going to be be a transactional ledger, you know, where you can now see payments or, or, or transfer of ownership. It's actually going to become something that replaces the internet itself. Because if you think about how the internet works today, let's say I, I have a, a Google account and uh, every day I back up my photos and my documents to Google. But if, I, if, if something happens to Google, let's say, for example, they shut down or, or something like that, um, or if I stop paying them, you know, uh, then the relationship breaks down and I, I won't ever have access to my data again. Uh, I've got uh, a dependency on Google to be able to provide that service into the future forever uh, and they are depending on me to pay for that. If I can't pay for it or if they, something goes wrong, then my data is gone. So now imagine a world where you could actually upload your information to this global network where that data isn't owned or controlled by a company like Google. It's, it's a, 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 I own it. I upload it to the blockchain and nothing will ever be able to destroy that information. Mm. So uh, uh, this is going to be something that is far greater than just a transactional ledger that records uh, a history of payments, a history of uh, ownership, uh, uh, mm. transfers and so on. But something that actually makes the internet itself 
now uh, instead of depending dependent on companies that own the, uh, these large data sets like Facebook, like Instagram, you know, all these companies where we're uploading all our content. Now we can upload it to the blockchain and it's there forever. And uh, once it's there, it cannot ever be d destroyed. So if I'm now a first time user getting involved in blockchain, who owns it? You talk about companies not necessarily mm. owning it. Who does own the blockchain? Well, nobody owns. That's the whole point. The whole point is that uh, it's a major word, decentralization. There is no company that is now owning the blockchain. But there are companies who are providing services so people can access the blockchain. Now, uh, right now, there's this idea of mining. Mining is basically these large data centers that are, going, are, are processing transactions uh, uh, in return for fees. That's how uh, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain operates. And uh, what they do is they provide the service to us by, by storing that information. Uh, uh, they earn the fees by processing those transactions. That's all that mining is. It's just a transaction processor. But those companies can also provide other services. They can have a, 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 a software that can index the blockchain or make it easy for you to say, I want to upload a photograph, and they create an app that works on the blockchain. In the same way, Google has created a, a, a service on top of the internet. It's mm. like a search engine. We're going to have companies that are building services mm. on top of this new kind of internet that, uh, uh, that uh, will allow us to be able to use it, uh, like we're using Google and so on. Mm. So it's not that there are companies that own the blockchain, but there will certainly be companies that own services, mm. and we pay them to be able to make the blockchain actually usable. So then how does the blockchain get maintained? Because surely IT infrastructure, like any other infrastructure, is subject to being kept relevant and up to date. How's that going to work for blockchain? Who does that? Well, that's where the concept of miners come in. Right. So, so miners are paid. Uh, remember the nodes we were talking about uh, earlier where, where you've got seven counterparties verifying the legitimacy of a particular transaction? Those guys individually would take a small fraction of a cryptocurrency or a Bitcoin, uh, as is the case on the, on the Bitcoin chain, and uh, in, in exchange for... Uh, computing power. A lot of guys are actually just using graphics processing cards mm -hmm. to to pump uh, transactions through. So it, it, the the commercial model behind it actually works quite well. Okay, so I've got auto maintenance, decentralized, irrefutable, nearly real time, replacing the internet. There's a hell of a lot of disruption here, but of course that also talks to opportunity. So what about some of the use cases that you've seen or that you've thought about that are interesting in this space? Like where is this going? Uh, so for, for, for us as ZRX, some of the low-hanging fruit in the capital market space specifically, you know, people still to this day talk about safe custody. Now, I refer you back to my earlier example, you know, and, and why do people talk about safe custody, right? It's sort of this concept of 100 years ago, guys had share certificates and you needed to have a big safe and... You know, especially your wealthy individuals had a bunch of shares, certificates lying there, and someone had to reconcile them. Now you've got a whole bunch of clients owning these shares, and you know you can't uh, let these things go missing because you can't they, keep them in a safe now, right? Well, you have that's to the keep, danger. You have to keep them in a safe. That's that was the the narrative back in the day. Yes. Hence, safe custody. Whereas today, as as Lauren correctly pointed out, nowadays things actually sit on a database. Share certificates are a thing of the past. Yet we are still running as if there were paper certificates. So f to, for me, the big disruption in this space specifically is, in fact, putting capital market securities and literally everything on chain. But now the problem is 
you are looking at a global opportunity here. Yes. So when people ask us, who's our bigger, biggest competitor? It's not a local exchange. It is, in fact, a global exchange where a company has issued shares on, directly onto chain and has raised capital, issuing tokens and cryptocurrency against it. And effectively, you now have, you could potentially have a South African company going to an Estonian or a Malta-based uh, blockchain exchange, raising capital there and having access to global capital markets. It's not just local. So that, in essence, is the disintermediation. That's the disruption. The competition's... It, it's not local. It's not local. It's we've, we've become a global village. That's what blockchain means. So this actually puts things like borders and exchange control yes. into fundamentally different perspectives. 100%. We've got to shift our frame and our paradigm really? around those old world structures. Correct. Well, uh, you know, not necessarily so. You know, this has been something that uh, people have spoken about, uh, Bitcoin or blockchain, saying, look, now the world has become a global village and now, you know, uh, assets can be transferred across the world instantly without uh, worrying about uh, customs or anything like that. But it's not actually the case. You know, uh, I think people have become drunk in a way on this idea that we have this decentralized technology and it's going to completely upturn uh, the, how the uh, how regulatory environments work and so on. And that's completely false. You know, we still live in a world where there are laws and uh, there will still mm -hmm be uh, regulators who want things to operate in a certain way. So just because uh, a network like the blockchain can facilitate these things, it doesn't necessarily mean that that will be the case. You know, I think that uh, uh, what, what we have got here now is, and again, I think if you want to talk about the opportunities and the use cases, you must just think about what are the opportunities and the use cases that the internet have given us. You know, this ability for uh, uh, global communications, to do e-commerce, to host content, it's and infinite. so on. And, and, uh, and all the blockchain is doing is giving us a decentralized way in doing that, where we don't have to depend on, on uh, companies to hold that information. But when it comes to uh, asset transfer, when it comes to uh, uh, contracts and so on, we still have a legal system. You know, every country uh, has a well-established legal system that's been uh, developed over centuries in some cases, and uh, uh, regulatory environments that are not going to go away. So uh, I think that uh, people who, who look at uh, blockchain as this, this great disruptor that's going to you know, uh, uh, turn governments upside down and, mm. and completely disrupt an, uh, the legal system where we have to invent new laws and we have to invent new regulations. I think they're just being naive. Yeah. You know, um, uh, sure, a uh, blockchain will be able to facilitate a lot of things, uh, a lot of things more efficiently and mm. effectively and also give us uh, the people who produce content and so on more control over that without a dependency on a, a company who holds that information. But we are still going to be operating in a world with, with the same laws, with the same rules around capital flight, uh, around all these things. And uh, uh, if, we, if, we, if we want to be pragmatic and, and realistic about where this is going to go, then we must think about this technology as still operating within a, a, the same kind of regulatory Framework. structures that we have and frameworks and legal frameworks. Let me just devil's advocate here mm. for you. Um, we, as a species, didn't have airplanes from inception. Mm. The Wright brothers introduced us to commercial flight and then sprouted the Civil Aviation Authority and its equivalent in a variety of jurisdictions, and new laws were created. So those structures that you talk about ultimately evolve with the underlying technology and how the commercial world utilizes that new technology. So certainly we can't have a regulator sit still on this, uh, not only South Africa, but more so for the world as a whole, uh, specifically when we're talking to talk, starting to talk about uh, the world as a global village. Is that really far-fetched? Uh, mm. 
Um, what do you see in the capital markets? So, so I actually agree with, with Lorian. Um, you know, blockchain isn't going to be this free-for-all technology, right? So, so I actually agree with you there. What blockchain does, however, do, uh, and I've seen it in our space, where the cost of settlement gets reduced by 90%. Uh, the speed at which it happens increases dramatically. There's a, there's a great example of a uh, lady in Kenya that imports product from Japan. Kenya has, like South Africa, exchange control. So you need to jump through a whole bunch of hoops and paperwork and what have you. Uh, it's actually gotten so bad because of bureaucracy. It takes her four weeks to, to uh, get approval to buy currency so she can actually buy product. Wow. And all she did, she went onto the blockchain, bought a cryptocurrency, settled, settled for the product uh, in crypto. So it's nothing illegal. It's imported the product, pay the excise duties, and all of that happened within, within days. So it cut, the, it cut the processing time down from uh, weeks and months to literally days. And I think that's the, that's the opportunity that blockchain brings is that it makes current fairly cumbersome processes that we've invented because of checks and balances, because there's no irrefutability. Uh, we've now built in these layers of processes and costs, which have become rather cumbersome and blockchain just cuts that out and doing it faster simpler better so i've read a, to that point an example of uh, a real estate transaction that had taken place in the u.s by virtue of the same bureaucracy that sits in the title deed and land registry uh, jurisdictional space mm -hmm. and how facilitating the transfer of the title to the new owner could occur within a matter of eight to 10 minutes yes. uh, with all checks and balances in place by virtue of the automation and the irrefutability that, mm -hmm. and the real-time component that you'd spoken about that blockchain brings about. So in the mm -hmm. same way, I would advocate that we need to rethink potentially some of these old school structures and the art of the possible. Someone gave me a wonderful example of your voting right being considered an asset that goes into this blockchain ledger, which presupposes that you might have irrefutable elections, which of course worldwide is a wonderful thing, and then prompted me to think, well, are we not falling into a linear thinking trap as opposed to applying this exponential way of thinking without getting punch drunk? Why do we still need elections? We can vote in real time per policy. And if that is the case, can we not self-regulate as a society? And do we actually even need politicians still? So maybe just a oh, bit of a slippery slope <laughs> on your drive to the way to work. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, it's been a wonderful conversation. I hope we've shed some light to our listeners uh, as to what blockchain is and the art of the possible. And again, disruption through the lens of opportunity. Thanks so much. Thank Welcome. you. You've been listening to R&B's On The Verge podcast series. Subscribe for more solutionist thinking.